Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's virtual plant clinic. My name is Bill Lester. I'm with uh, University of Florida IFAS Extension Service here in Hernando County, and I'm here with my regular co-host, Lily Browning. And I just flew into the office, well, didn't fly in, just ran into the office seconds ago, just in time for this. So it's a busy day with people popping in, questions, preparing for the holidays and everything else, I guess. So I how you doing, Lily? Good. I expected to come in because um, I came in at like 9.58. And I oh, I was going to say, I, 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 I figured that you'd be here early, but I guess you weren't either. No, I turned it on when I was uh, still putting my lipstick on and was <laughs> couldn't believe you weren't here. And then I was like, do I just start without him? How do I do I mean, am I a host? How, you know, how do I handle this? Will it let me? And then with 17 seconds to spare, you showed up. <laughs> well, I have volunteers here. Uh, I was talking with one about um, irrigation at one of our favorite neighborhoods. So there's always something happening in the lawn and garden to talk about, whether it be irrigation, whether it be cold weather coming although we haven't i haven't gotten any calls about cold weather yet i will i think it's you know we're in a warm-up phase at the moment but we we're in a beautiful, beautiful phase right now yeah oh yeah i mean it got a little cool got down to 34 here in hernando but you know how florida winters are three days of winter then you get a break and another week or two you have another three days of winter then you get a break so yeah, it wasn't that cold this morning. Uh, Tuesday, I actually had ice on the front windshield a little bit. Me too. Me, a little, not like heavy ice. But yeah, I had to. It's one of those times you need to remind yourself you need to make extra time to sit there for it to um, go away or put the car on before you get in it or something like that. I, and I often think, you know, people up north, we get so used to just hopping in the car and going. And if you're up north, it's part of your routine to warm the car up to get it ready or you're not going anywhere so. and sweep the snow off the windshield and off the top shovel if you have to shovel your way out of where your car is parked <laughs> yep and Run I, the and I defroster learned. for 45 minutes to melt everything and yeah and they want you to get the big piles of snow off your hood and off your roof because um apparently it's illegal to drive with it on there because it could just slide off onto somebody else and cause an issue so yeah when i was a kid growing up in maryland it wasn't illegal it just it happens <laughs> yeah. uh i believe i was told in virginia it's illegal i'm not sure about pennsylvania so they don't get a whole lot of snow in virginia they get more <clears throat> ice i those nasty ice storms and they're scary well my son lives on the coast he lives you know um Hampton, Norfolk, um, Williamsburg, those kind of that those areas, they get about one good snow, maybe a foot or so a year, maybe two, but it's gone. It melts within a few days. Mm -hmm. Whereas then you venture through the mountains to where I have a whole lot of other family in the Alleghenies <laughs> um, outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, that snow could be there from December till April. <laughs> So it's a lot different there. Yeah, not here. A lot here, it's much nicer. There, I tried to point that out to my son that his family in Western Pennsylvania has it a lot colder than he does in coastal Virginia. But since he's in the army and um, gets up at five every morning to run, he tells me he does not care how much colder it is in Pennsylvania because they don't get up at five in the morning to run along the James River. So. <laughs> Well, it can be pretty cold here some mornings at 5 a.m. I'm not, I don't get up quite that early, but yeah, some days when I first get up, it's pretty cold out there. Yeah. And see, Cindy says that it's illegal to have a ton of snow on your car in New Jersey, and I think Pennsylvania, you must remove snow from roof of vehicles. So, well, in New Jersey, you got to turn right to turn left. So, I mean, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> There are a few places in Pennsylvania where you have to do that too. <laughs> so. 
So if anybody has any more local lawn and garden kind of questions, please feel free to go ahead and put them in the chat and we'll go ahead and do our very best to answer them. One thing that I answered the other day and I answered it twice. Now, I'm not sure if it was the same person because somebody called on the phone with a question about camphor trees. And then later on in the day, they somebody came in the front door asking the same question about camphor trees. I'm not sure if it was the same person or not. And they were hoping that if they came in person, they get a the answer they wanted, not the answer <laughs> that's actually accurate. They wanted to be able to keep their camphor tree, in other words, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, they had a uh, they have a very large camphor tree in their yard. And they, she has problems with lots of twigs coming off of it and berries. And I told her what I tell everybody. Camphor trees are invasive. We don't recommend growing them. They can be messy. They can be twiggy. On and off during the year, there is no specific season for that. And they do form little berries that birds eat and then poop out and deposit far and wide. And then new little trees pop up. And that's only for a short time i mean the berries are only there for just a time before they all fall off on your driveway on your car and on your roof and it's just kind of the nature of the beast i'm not sure what she was hoping for maybe well, it, it, uh, she wanted me to tell her to water it or fertilize it and it would all be just fine but um, they're tweaking trees it's they're expensive to remove you know so if you had one you didn't put it there it was there when you bought the house they make lovely looking big trees it could look like an oak tree but grow a lot faster and there's a hint in that um what i just said we want instant gratification but usually fast growing means weak therefore they break a lot <laughs> and you'll have all those twigs and it could come down in a storm plus Corey really dislikes them. Yes. Um, you know, the nature of all invasive plants. I discussed this very lightly in yesterday's class. Buddy was there. Um, <clears throat> I call them seductive uh, invasive plants because there are certain few that, you know, we love them so much. And even though it's a toxic relationship, we'll fight for them and we'll defend them. And we'll say, oh, we keep them under control. And the fact is you don't control the birds. You don't control the wind. And everyone who has a camphor tree absolutely knows they're mowing over baby camphor trees all the time. And it's not limited to your yard. And the problem is these plants get in natural areas and um they have no checks and balances here nothing to keep them under control therefore they're able to grow in abundance and out outgrow our native plants in these natural areas and yeah there are a lot of opportunistic birds who will eat and spread a lot of things but um there are a lot of other native animals that uh, they only rely on the native plants to eat. So you are really just the whole um, ecosystem gets messed up. And as well as some of these trees then start to naturalize and not camphor, but like other types, close in species will hybridize with some of our natives and, you know, just yeah well and especially camphor trees have a couple other drawbacks for homeowners like Corey says here he has them at his place and they don't have any planted with it a half mile and he's seen them a 30-minute hike into the wilderness areas that's the problem is birds will take those seeds all over and i used to live in a neighborhood where there were quite a few camphor trees in other people's yards and I would always have little baby camphor trees popping up in my flower beds all the time that I had to dig out or pull out. And they almost always get competing leaders. So if you look at a camphor tree, it's almost never one big trunk. It's multiple trunks. And the problem with that is in a storm or because of old age or if it gets some kind of rot in the junction there, any tree with two competing trunks can split and fall 
And one part can fall on your house, the other part can fall on your neighbor's driveway or, you know, fall where you don't want it to. So they don't, they tend to be not the most stable trees as like, let's say a properly maintained magnolia or oak or something like that. And they are twiggy, which mm -hmm. means that they just have lots and lots of little twigs that come raining down throughout the year. Um, Another really, really bad one is golden, golden rain trees are the twiggiest trees I've ever seen in my life. Oh my gosh, they'll fill your lawn with junk. Not just leaves, little twigs, little branches you have to clean up. So they're very, very messy. I, I can't tell you what to do to make them not messy. That's that's how they were made. <laughs> we have nothing to do with that. There used to be a big one um, at my dentist, at your dentist. <laughs> when yes, you would... I have an appointment at two o'clock this afternoon. So oh, I'm going on Monday. Um, okay. As you go, as you drive in, you'll see. I mean, it's all open now, but when right at the entry from the road used to be a huge tree that you had to go around yeah, yeah. and I, that was a camper tree and it was hollow <laughs> our friend uh took it down our friend the master gardener <laughs> mm -hmm. who's an arborist he took it down and he said it was hollow you know that could have been it that could have fallen on the whole building yeah yeah and it was pretty messy in the parking lot too Yes. So unfortunately, if you have bought a house or you live in a house that has a very large camphor tree and now you're tired of the twigginess, you're worried about it. I've seen them with six major large mm -hmm. trunks kind of clustered together. And if you're worried about that, their large trees are very expensive to have taken down. It's a big expense. So the lady and I'm I'm, like I said, I'm not positive if this was the same person or two different people, but the one who came in person said, oh, well, I don't like taking down trees. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you're an environmentalist now mm -hmm. trying to starting the save the camphor trees movement, I guess. Yeah. Well, it is expensive and that could, that's a real issue. Yeah. I was thinking that pro her biggest issue with it was probably the expense. And she mm -hmm. said it was very close to the house too, which just makes it more difficult. Corey and has a question. Do you see Corey's question about stratification of seeds? Yes, we are getting to that. that uh, okay. We move on to the next topic here. <laughs> so Corey asked, if you have seeds that benefit from cold stratification, you have them in the fridge, pull them out and plant them outside. Now, if they sprout, should they be fine with our winter? All depends on what plants they are. If it's a Florida wildflower, you can throw them out there and plant them anytime during the winter. They'll be fine with the weather. If it's something else, like maybe a Northern ornamental plant or something, it depends on if it's damaged or killed by freezing weather. So that's not a really accurate answer, but it basically depends on exactly what plant seeds we're talking about. If they're wildflower seeds, they generally get planted in the fall here in, in Florida. Native Florida Asimino species. But stratification, there are certain plants that the seeds need a period of really cold temperatures to, you know, start to sprout and grow. And the easiest way to deal with that is just put them in the refrigerator for the appropriate amount of time. It may be a week or two, it may be six weeks. Um, he says, native Florida Asimenia species, which is pawpaws. Yeah, pawpaws grow on their own in my yard. I'm not sure that you would have, you know, the purpose of native, <laughs> it should be native to your specific area and generally do fine with the weather that it's given. But, you know, if you want to give it a head start, probably won't hurt to do that stratification. Yeah, so you, if you've had them in the fridge for the appropriate amount of time for the cold stratification, you should be able to plant them outside now. Uh, you could 
start them in small containers just to see which ones are going to sprout, which ones aren't, to be able to take better care of them, like water-wise and everything else, and then transplant them. With pawpaws, don't pawpaws have very, very deep roots? So yes, you're going to need to transplant do. them. I have quickly. a story about that. I, I wasn't, I was trying to be lazier in quarry, and I had a pawpaw, literally it's growing through a um, palmetto bush. It's kind of hard to get to. It's beside a non-native Arizona cypress. That was a Christmas tree of mine at one time. And then it's coming up through this uh, palmetto bush. So years ago, I tried. <laughs> I thought I pulled it out, you know, dug it all the way out and I tried to replant it. That was unsuccessful. So he's doing it the best way using seeds and all of that. But the good news is I didn't kill it. It still comes up every year through that <laughs> palmetto oh, bush. And I'm like, if that's where you want to be, fine. You've chosen your place, you know. So, yeah, they have very, obviously very long tap roots. Yeah, yeah. Corey says they can easily have six to seven foot tap roots. Yeah, the older, more mature ones, definitely. Mm -hmm. So probably trying to propagate them, he's doing it the correct way, other than I tried to do it by transplanting. It didn't work out. Luckily, didn't kill that because it has a man-sized tap root, <laughs> but um, didn't work in the trans and the just transplanting it. So you need some pretty big uh, pots too. Well, if you're only starting it from seed, yeah. Once it outgrows, yeah, the pot, that's that's the kind of thing. I, I would start it in containers, and then very shortly after it sprouts, transplant it, because I'm sure it's going to be shooting down a root very, very quickly. So if anybody has any other questions, just feel free to jump right in. Uh-oh, we have more pawpaw comments here. Isn't... Sue asked, Pawpaw, isn't that a real softwood nuisance tree? I spent several hours cutting suckers to the ground yesterday so I could rake leaves. I wouldn't call it a nuisance. I don't think they, I mean, maybe in your yard, they pop up a lot. Um, it's if it's in the lawn, anything popping up in a lawn, you, you could consider a nuisance. Oak tree sprouts are a nuisance in a lawn. Sure. It is we a softwood. It is a soft wood, but um, you have to send us a picture of what you pulled up so we have a better idea because there's so many things out there that it could be as well. There is. It may be camphor trees popping up if your neighbors are growing them. So It is very bendy kind of wood, though, the pawpaw is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, yeah, is Sue asks, what area in Florida, Sue? <laughs> we can all grow basically the same kind of stuff, but. Oh, she's up in Maryland right now trying to get her yard winterized. Okay. How far north do pawpaws grow? I have no idea. Probably Corey knows. <laughs> I don't think they grow that far north, <laughs> but. Maybe, who knows? I've only really heard of them in, you know, more of the southern regions. Yeah, darn. And Teresa's on vacation this week also, otherwise she'd probably be popping up a, a University of Florida fact sheet. Well, well, I guess they can grow pretty far north. Yeah, Corey says all the way up to Nova Scotia, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Um, our native pawpaws north to Georgia. That's what I, I was thinking, that Georgia was the range. Yeah. Um, well, answer, Sue, about what vegetables thrive in Florida. Any of them, really. <laughs> Just, Just about anything. Rutabagas don't do that well here. Um, yeah. Brussels sprouts um, don't do that well here because it's rare that we have a long consistently cold winter and that's what you need for brussels sprouts everything else grows just great here if you grow it at the correct time of year so right now you need to be growing all those cool season vegetables broccoli cauliflower cabbage 
radishes, carrots, beets, anything green and leafy, you know, different types of lettuce, romaine, kale, spinach, Swiss chard. Kohlrabi. Kohlrabi grows very well here, believe it or not. And that's more of a, a people from up north are going to be a lot more familiar with that. Mm. But it can grow really well here in the winter if you plant it now. Matter of fact, I was going to, I have seeds for it. I was going to try growing it, see how it does in my garden, but I need to get it in really soon. I'm going to be on the lookout for, I'm not sure if I want. I'm going to go to the stores. If I want a ginger, um, maybe a kohlrabi, perhaps even a I'm looking for some kind of tuber because I'm going to a uh, Christmas ugly sweater party. But the theme this year is Harry Potter. And I don't know, you're probably not that familiar with Harry Potter, but I decided the best character for me to be is Professor Sprout. And... Um, they have what they call screaming mandrakes. And they look like mandrakes. They look like tumor tubers. But when you have, um, when they're babies, you can repot them, but you have to wear earmuffs because um, they'll knock you out screaming. <laughs> and apparently the adult ones will kill you. <laughs> so I'm looking for some kind of tuber that I can carry in a pot and I'll attach some fake leaves or something to the top. Um, that I can turn into a screaming mandrake. <laughs> so, put a little. Well, you thing. know, you, you just you can go to a store and buy ginger root and plant it, and it will sprout and grow. Uh, same with turmeric. I need to buy. I need to buy. You know, this by in a week or two. So I'm yeah. going to the store looking at the tubers already, which which looks the best to be one of these <laughs> screaming mandrakes <laughs> well soon knows all about papa too lewis and clark survived on them <laughs> yes sue says uh west virginia is loaded with pawpaw i know it grows up and down the east coast yeah and it does get a tasty fruit that's underutilized other than but that it's not, it's not the same um you know as the florida native like Corey. Said. yeah yeah And Lewis and Clark survived on Pawpaw along the Columbia River. So we're just, we're learning all about Pawpaw today together. Do you know who funded their expedition? Who? Thomas Jefferson. Oh, okay. Well, that was smart. See, learned that at um, Monticello. <laughs> <laughs> so let me go up here a ways. Um, Sue's asking about sacred bamboo. Is it metastasizing all over the place in Florida? I'm going to use that word. Not that I know of. Um, that is such a great word. <laughs> I'm going to use that word for invasive plants now. I know heavenly bamboo was not so much anymore, but it was a very commonly used landscape plant for new home construction. And I do believe that it is considered technically invasive. Not it's just technically invasive. Um, from what I hear, like from Audubon and other uh, people with bird concerns, is that the berries are poisonous to birds. So my first thoughts were, birds aren't that stupid. They're not going to eat, you know, something that poisons them. But somebody pointed out to me, why do I never remember the name of those birds that will devour an entire blueberry field. Cedar waxwings. And their voracious appetites. If they'll, you know, find a bunch of Nandina, heavenly bamboo, they, and when they, they don't taste, they just devour. And so that amount of those berries become poisonous. And because they're you know, not native to here, I guess it hasn't gotten into their instinctual brainwaves yet. <laughs> Don't eat that. So. Yeah, and the berries are poisonous to dogs also. And, and once again, when birds eat berries and they go and poop in somebody else's yard, they have it coming up. And that's part of the reason why it's considered invasive. Mm-hmm. 
And Sue said that the landscaper planted heavenly bamboo when she asked for crepe myrtle. They are nowhere near the exact same. <laughs> and Corey says he's got about a quarter acre of running bamboo. There are other types of bamboo. There's one. I have no idea what the, the name of it is. It's the one that they have huge amounts of up at Chinsiga Manor House on their property. And I had that in my yard in Deltona before. And it's a very fast running bamboo. It will shoot roots underground and go 20 feet and pop up in the middle of your neighbor's backyard. Bing! And shoot a, a branch up. It's really terrible. And once it's there, there's really no digging it up or totally getting rid of it. It's very, it's, you're going to have to do a combination of cutting, spraying with herbicides, digging some up. It's a tough one to get under control. I know there at um, Chinsiga, they burned it and sprayed it, or maybe sprayed it and burned it. I'm not really sure exactly what they did, but it's not gone. It's coming back. So. so that's the running bamboo. And everyone says the clumping bamboo is fine. Is that, is that true? Yes, if it's true, a true clumping bamboo, it will spread, but very, very slowly. It'll take years for that clump to grow, to go a little bit. Running bamboo sends out roots underground that travel underground for a long ways and pop up, and they send them out in every direction. So running bamboo can fill an acre of lawn or pasture very quickly. Clumping bamboo is going to take anywhere from many years to never to spread that far. And that, so, uh, that's Sue's question about vegetable gardening, though. If you go online and look up Florida Vegetable Gardening Guide, <clears throat> that is the University of Florida publication. That's very helpful. And it has a chart that tells you what to plant what time of year can plant almost, not everything, like you said, not Brussels sprouts, not, there's just some things that aren't going to, um, asparagus is really iffy <laughs> too. Um, most of the same things, just a different timing. So, and pretty, and not a whole lot of stuff in uh, June through August, not much at all. Unless you are into sweet potatoes, okra, what else? There are a number of different tropical vegetables that people might not be as familiar with. Um, yucca, a, a lot of different um, Hispanic cuisine roots like yucca, malanga. Um, yucca might make a nice screaming mandrake. <laughs> yeah, they have that at every grocery store if you look yeah, for it. Yeah. I like it. I'm going to try growing it this year. Um, I've been told that it grows very, very well in just pure sandy soil. And it's like, great, I have plenty of that. I can find a corner and work it in and just ignore it. And if it, you know, gives me a nice crop of yucca roots at the end of summer, that'd be just great. But Sue says she's also buying a cheesy plastic greenhouse shelter for tomatoes, etc., to fit over my mango. That works just great for a lot of those warm season things. You can start seeds in little pots and little containers very soon, but you need to make sure they don't freeze. So you need to either cover them, put them in a little greenhouse. It could be a very inexpensive one. It could be a million dollar greenhouse, something in between. And um, uh, keep them warm at night, make sure they don't freeze. But obviously during really nice winter weather, Get them out there in the sun. Get those tomatoes and peppers up and growing and big and strong. So yeah, on March, in March you can put them in the ground and you're all set. She's in Maryland, though. She lives here in Florida. She must just oh, be okay. up there visiting. All right. Okay. And she also transplanted cucurmin to a whiskey barrel so it's not exposed to the yard chemicals. Yeah, you want to be very careful if you have a lawn service this spring. You just need to be careful. Mm -hmm. uh, don't be afraid to ask them what they sprayed. You have every right to know. And mm -hmm. 
there's this little thing on your computer called Google, and whatever it is, you can look it up and read about it. Knowledge is power. And who, um, you know, gives them, who hands over their credit card or who writes the check? That makes you their boss. <laughs> so you get to ask questions. And Sue also says she finds coyote scat filled with berries, which she suspects are beauty berries, probably not other plants like heavenly bamboo. I don't know why these plant clinics always circle back to this topic. Yeah, it's, always... it's pretty, yeah, we do have a lot of crappy uh, subjects. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, I am not going to examine it to determine whether they are beauty berries or some other kind of berries. <laughs> but I know that Sue lives at least part of the year in Spring Hill, and we do have a lot of coyotes around Spring Hill, and they are... Um, they take advantage of anything. They'll eat berries. They'll eat lumber grasshoppers. They'll eat garbage. They'll eat out of your trash can. They'll eat stray cats. They eat rabbits. They eat darn near anything. Um, I think maybe you know, they... I'm not sure. Um, to beauty berry, they might eat them, but even the birds leave them until they turn black and are pretty much beauty berry raisins because so they have a higher sugar content as they dehydrate. Because beauty berries are edible, but they're just not that tasty. <laughs> you know, now I don't know if a coyote cares or not. Um, and an urban coyote, I wouldn't think would be hungry enough to eat something, you know, that wasn't all that yummy to them. Because they'll find your garden. Oh, they're, they're surprisingly <laughs> adaptable. They'll eat a wide variety of stuff. They'll, they'll eat candy wrappers, trash. Mm -hmm. I read something, I wrote an article on them and I read about, um, they looked at what they ate and it was just darn, I mean, I don't think they eat soda cans, but anything short of soda cans they'll eat. And that's yeah, why they're successful. Got a lot of them in Spring Hill. You Do you have them in your neighborhood? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Definitely. You can hear them at night. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> And I've got these little, you know, snack size little uh, dogs that they would just love. So I have to be real careful at night with them. The one, now they get it dark so early, I have this ancient little tiny dog. And she, she sundowns. As <laughs> soon as it gets dark, she gets very nervous. And not only yeah, does she yeah. want to go to bed, she wants everyone to go to bed. Well, at six o'clock, we're not all that willing to do that. So um, what I've been trying to get home in time to walk her and wear her out so that she's not pacing as much. Yeah. But you know, when it gets dark so soon, I might go up and down the block with her, but I have a very tight, she's right at my feet. And I have my, I have a flashlight pointing at you know, all the wooded lots and even the yards and stuff around me. Cause you know, I don't know when they could pop out and I try to make a whole lot of noise and stuff. So, so that they uh, don't come out and have an evening snack of her. Yeah. To me. No, no, you don't have to worry about your dogs. Yeah. At all. And when we had all three, I think that they would dream at night of a coyote jumping over the fence, ending up in the backyard because they would have worked as a little team to defeat the intruder. I would have had to, you know, pay for stitches at the uh, emergency vet clinic in the middle of the night, but they would have won. Yeah. Um, well, we were gone in October. One of our neighbors texted us that a different neighbor, a new neighbor who I don't know who it was or what kind of knowledge he really has, but he claimed that there was bear scat in our neighborhood which there is bear, you know, at cross 19. So we're not that far from the Chazowitzka wildlife management area. Yeah. I still don't know, you know, how, how accurate that was. But when we came back, it was near Halloween and I was getting ready for a trunk or treat and I ordered, you know, the kind of air blow up dragon that was way bigger than I thought it would be to fit on top of my car and my husband was testing it out for me 
So he had this big red dragon, dragon on top of a little Jeep, um, Liberty. And he ran over to the neighbors and he knocked and he said, Gary, it wasn't a bear. I've got it. I've got it in my yard. And <laughs> had him come over to see the giant dragon on my car. And he was dying laughing and he had to go get his wife and uh, repeat the same thing. And he got both of them like, what in the heck does he have trapped in the yard? And, and you know, showed them the dragon. So that was, that was uh, our fun with Scat in our neighborhood. <laughs> you see, we just keep circling back to the same topic. So, so here, let's, let's knock through a couple quick questions and comments here. Lee says that she had the running bamboo and it went across her lawn and took a long time to get rid of the runners. It's tough. It's going to involve diligence, digging. You can, if you have a lot of it, cut it at ground level and immediately spray it with concentrated herbicide. Even then, I don't know how well it goes down to the roots and the runners. It would help, but I'm not sure how effective even chemical control is for that. Yeah. Just always gives you something to do. And Sue says that she had chili peppers over winter and they thrived. Yeah, if you keep peppers are one of those, it's kind of between an annual and a perennial. Pepper plants can live for a couple years, but here in Central Florida, you have to make sure they don't burn up in the heat of summer or freeze in the dead of winter. So if you could do that, you can keep a hot pepper plant going for a number of years. Not guaranteed, but it happens. And going back to some of the different things that you can grow during the heat of summer here when there's not a whole lot growing. Corey, that's a good point. There, there are tropical spinaches, and these are green, leafy vine plants where you can pick the leaves off of them and eat it like spinach. I've honestly never tried it, but I've heard that it's not, it's definitely not the same as spinach. Mm-hmm. In some instances, it's kind of an acquired taste. So you may want to try it before you grow fill your backyard with growing any one of these spinaches because you may just not like the taste of it that much but we can grow the spinach we're used to in the winter is that yes traditional spinach like what you buy at the grocery store and Corey is also growing yucca Mm -hmm. and sue says can i plant sweet potatoes now no you want to wait till spring and yucca you want to wait until spring also and late spring is fine, like April-ish. Yeah, those are the things you're going to actually be growing out in the heat of summer. Tomatoes are not. <laughs> yeah, and Lee grows done, both yucca and malanga is another tropical root crop. Um, I've never tried it. I've heard it's good. Um, but malanga is another one. And they, they are very, very low maintenance. And basically, you plant them and kind of forget it for most of the summer. They're gonna grow just fine on their own. And Nancy grows pigeon peas. She's from Puerto Rico. That's another good choice. Pigeon peas are uh, used a lot in Caribbean and South and Central American cuisine. So you can grow they, they take the heat. They're, that's another summer growing crop. He reminded me of black eyed peas are the other one I wasn't remembering <laughs> for the summer. Yeah, yeah, black eyed peas because Black eyed peas are are in the bean family, but it's technically not like other peas. It's a tropical plant. So tropical peas. And yeah, Corey says to plant those summer heat loving things after March. Mm -hmm. And Corey's putting up a 16 by 32 greenhouse. That's great. Greenhouses could be a lot of fun. They could be very productive. They can be as expensive or inexpensive as you want i think um sue was asking if the coyotes howl i've never heard them howl here it's not like the picture of out west that you know we've been um shown or or texas you know where they're howling at the moon generally um you can go online like for everything and go on you know and put in coyote sounds and literally it sounds like a pack of dogs yipping that's what it, you know, yip, 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 yeah, yip, yeah. Yip. yeah, 
that's how they're communicating with each other. I'm not saying they don't how I haven't ever heard it. And it's just not as common here as we've been led to believe. You think coyotes howling and that the lack of howling does not mean you don't have coyotes. I think howling is probably more wolves way up north. Well, but, you know, you look up and you like for West Texas or other places, you know, they talk about the coyotes howling. Um, I don't think that is a common part of their, you know, what they do, at least not here. <coughs> I've heard people say, this is on some of the neighborhood groups, of course, but that, um, and this may be something you would need to be concerned about. Don't just because your dog is big as a coyote doesn't mean there isn't reason for concern. Um, this particular neighbor said that she saw one coyote coming out, like um, making play moves towards their puppy German shepherd, you know, bigger, but puppy German shepherd, like come play with me. And um, she could hear wrestling or whatever that that one dog was trying the one coyote was trying to lure the dog into the woods where there was a pack of coyotes so yeah yeah generally we don't have a lot of problems here in hernando county with them but you always want to be careful with coyotes and there is um they're here to stay when they, they will not be eradicated so we just oh, yeah, need yeah. to live with them are they native to Florida? No. Nope. Um, they kind of, I think this is my anecdotal guess. They took up the niche when we got rid of all the wolves, probably. Yeah, they partly spread here on their own. They did expand their range. And they were also brought here a long time ago for hunting preserves here in Florida which didn't help. So and like the wild hogs, you know, once the, the, yep. the Spanish brought the hogs for food and then when they'd leave, they just left the hogs. Yeah. So. Yeah. That way, when you come back this way, there's something to hunt. Mm -hmm. Of course, now that it's a couple hundred years later, they're, you know, a big pain, but, but Sue asked about cannas. And are cannas invasive? Should I throw it away? It's always a giveaway up north. My mother-in-law blessed me with it. No, cannas are not invasive. They do spread. A few of them will, I mean, the size of the clump will spread over time. But you don't have to worry about them getting loose in a, a, a wild area or preserve. They get a couple different insect problems, so they're they're not... You may plant them and they may be a pain to manage, but it's not invasive. What's happening more and more up north, I've noticed, and my brother or my sister-in-law have been doing some of the same stuff. Maybe it's always been done up there, I don't know, but it seems to be trendy that they take these tropical plants and they plant them in their yard almost as annuals you know, in their yard in the summer. And then some of them will take the roots or whatever and like save it in their basements and put it out again for the summer or else they you just can. go buy new again but they like to have the tropical look but and here it'll freeze back your cannas will freeze back you know look brown and bleh, and then when we're not going to have any more freezes you can cut it all back and it'll come back just as happy as can be because we have not had a root killing freeze in 15 years probably yeah okay knocking through some more questions and comments here corey suggests to plant the poop um <laughs> That's it would fun. have a potentially diversity of seeds in it and that is how plants disperse themselves that's why they make tasty fruit so that they'll get eaten and that animal will move the seeds far and wide and deposit them. I would not um, recommend the use of coyote scat for composting, especially um, amongst edible crops um, because carnivorous or omnivorous uh, 
scat can have many different types of pathogens and also attract um, unwanted, you know, make it smelly and attract other unwanted visitors. So when yeah. we do our compost classes, like you're going to do this evening. Um, yes, we are. We don't recommend any um, anything except um, herbivore type of <laughs> manure. About chicken, yeah, but but there are very specific rules about it, which you kind of you cover that in the class. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole separate subject: food safety and using manure in edible crops. Um. But as Corey points out, some parks are gathering bear poop and planting it to improve native areas. Free seeds. That sure. helps to save money, I guess. Mm -hmm. And coyotes, yes, they do eat trash and stray cats. Mm -hmm. So you want to uh, avoid both and secure both as best you can. Um, Keep the cat in the house, not in a trash can. But Yeah, cats belong <laughs> in the house, not wander in the neighborhood. Nobody wants that. Yeah. And Sue says she asked her lawn service about the MSDS, that's the material safety data sheet, uh, about what they were spraying, and the guy said it was plant-based. Tell him you want to know the active ingredient of whatever it is. Maybe he knows. Maybe he doesn't even know. <laughs> maybe he doesn't know what he's spraying on your yard. But his boss see. does. His boss does. So, you know, keep going. Go beyond him. Make a phone call to the office. And, you know, Corey says uh, has a friend, Arapika, that gets bears around their yard. So they are over in that area. Yeah, they've kind of um, stayed west of 19. I remember once you asked me why all the bear signs are up and down 19. And was there really a problem with bears? Crossing 19. In 2004, yes, there was. There was about that year, about six bears got hit on 19. So whatever was going on at that time precipitated all those bear signs, uh, you know, kind of in between Citrus County and like um, Hexham and North 19. So that is why those signs are there. But yeah, the bears are I think I heard, last I heard, and this was years ago, there's about 300 bear, don't worry, <laughs> in the Ocala National Forest, don't freak out. <laughs> okay. There's a lot up there. <laughs> and about 30 in the Chazowitzka Wildlife Management Area. And what is really cool is that the bears in Ocala, um, the reject males, <laughs> the young ones who just, you know, were chased out by the alpha males who just could not find a girlfriend. Somehow they know to go over to the Chaz. The problem is human, well, maybe even male bear uh, interactions or human interactions between there and here often gets that poor young male in trouble before he makes it here. But I think um, to find himself a nice lady in the Chaz. But I think it is amazing to me that they know this and then that helps with diversity with the small group that's in the Chazowitzka National or uh, State Wildlife Management Area that they have some friends coming over from Ocala to meet women, therefore to preserve the diversity. And the issue and the problem is him making it here so but sometimes he does and so that helps preserve the the, the diversity in our um bear group here mm -hmm. yeah we get calls and questions about them pictures of paw prints you know what was in my yard uh we've gotten panther paw prints i know definitely one from out around your area so they're out there Right. It wasn't a bobcat because we do have bobcats. Oh, yeah. Well, I got I got a video of a bobcat. Um, there's a lot of bobcats out there. They're all over. Mm -hmm. But the Florida panther, which is and larger, what's happening rarer, is 
you know, every morning we wake up and there's a new house <laughs> somewhere near us. Yeah, um, yeah, that's going to change. I, the sound yeah. of construction, I'm pretty much immune to. It's like part of the neighborhood now. So taking away all the natural areas to build more houses, we are seeing more wildlife because they're becoming more and more displaced and more visible and having more unfortunate interactions with humans. And Sue points out she would suspect the microbiome of a coyote is not compatible with human health. You want to be very, very careful dealing with any kind of poop or excrement out in the wild. Uh, that's why when we're teaching composting, any kind of livestock or farm animal manure, all of it potentially has nasty bacteria in it. As a general rule, every bird out in the environment, chickens, pigeons, wild birds, whatever it might be, all their poo contains salmonella. You can almost bet money on it. So uh, you have to be very careful. You want to wear gloves. You need to wash your hands and use the um, disinfectant stuff frequently, very frequently when handling chickens. You need to know what you're doing and be safe. Otherwise, you're going to get nasty sick. And Sue, that's very true. Some wild animals adapt very well to suburban environments. Coyotes, raccoons, raccoons. coyotes <laughs> probably the two stars of mm -hmm. being able to adapt to live in a city or around people. Excellent. I saw an article or, or a show, researchers in Chicago, downtown Chicago, actually um, put tracking devices on raccoons and tracked what they did at night. And they lived in downtown Chicago. And they had a regular little route they would follow up these streets, down these streets. They'd visit trash cans. They'd knock over your trash can, eat this. And they survived and thrived and did really well living in a large city. You know what I think is um, evolving into... Um you know, doing fine in urban environments are, are deer. I'm hearing more and more. Yeah. Um, I follow, well, I have a lot of people I know who live in the city of Pittsburgh, and um, I follow some photographers and stuff there. There's deer all over the place in the middle of the city. As long as there's any kind of woods nearby and a yard, you know, they're happy enough. Oh, cemeteries. They love cemeteries. You can't go to a cemetery without running across deer. Yeah, and the funny thing is, um, back in colonial times in the late 1700s, deer were definitely endangered. I don't know how close to extinct they were, but all along the eastern seaboard. Because people at that point depended on them so much for food. Right. That was before Winn-Dixie and Publix, right. and, you know. Well, and we've taken away all of their predators. So we have yeah, an abundance yeah. of deer. And in fact, in places, well, in the nation, but um, I don't think I know anybody up there who has not had a deer hit them. That's the way you have to say it for the insurance company. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know a few people here that yeah. have. Oh, yeah, and know, around here for sure. But there's an overabundance. And um, I read once, I don't know if it is still so, that it is the um second most likely you know an animal that kills the most humans deer is number two now not on purpose not by attacking them but by causing yeah, 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 yeah. accidents number one is dogs yeah because if you hit a large deer you can very very easily total your vehicle and a lot of oh, people are you know, you know injured or killed on. from hitting deer sure yeah so you want to be very careful. Hitting bears is not a good thing either. So be careful out there. Yeah. So if anybody has any final last minute questions you want to squeeze in there this week, um, let me go ahead and share our freestanding webpage with you, www.hernandoextension.com. 
if you go there, it has a full listing of all of our scheduled upcoming classes, mine and Lily's and ours and everybody's. There, we have so much going on. Some weeks, I'm not even sure what's going on. If you go to my Facebook page, you'll see yesterday's class. If you missed it, it's what could go wrong. Um, one of the things that could go wrong is Bill had a different meeting, so he couldn't be there. But no, <laughs> uh, but no um, I think it went fine. And it's a generalized class. And in it, I tell you about upcoming classes. Bill and I have scheduled that it'll get more specific about things that could go wrong um, in your landscape. And next December 8th, uh, they won't be there for that one, but I will be doing the shady side of your landscape. So. And next week, we will be back with another version of the virtual plant clinic. And we are supposed to have a guest next week. No, she said she'll be here. As far as I know, she's still available. Um, we are going to have Wendy Lynch, who is with uh, University of Florida Extension. She's our district family and consumer science specialist. Oh, so you get to talk about all those recipes and stuff. Exactly. So for some reason, the conversation usually circles around to exchanging recipes and how to cook this and how to cook that. So save all that up for next week and go ahead and ask Wendy about that. And she could tell you what's healthy and nutritious for you along with being tasty and good to eat. So, so I guess we're going to have like the cooking version next week, maybe. Cool. And close to the holidays. That's a good plan. Yeah. 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 Perfect timing. Mm -hmm. And then the two weeks after that, we will not be having a virtual plant clinic, but I'll have more information on that next week because let me look on my calendar here. Um, no, we got one next week, and then we have one the week after that. I was going to say, I thought like the 16th we should have. December 23rd, we're closed, so we're not going to be doing the plant clinic on the 23rd. And the 30th, we are closed also. Well, we're not, we're not closed. I'm no. just off. So <laughs> I was going to say the 31st, we're closed because the first is a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have off the 23rd and the 24th because we always get Christmas Eve and Christmas, and Christmas is on a Saturday, so they give us those two days. Yeah, so we're taking time off of work. I'm tired. You're tired? Oh, me too. Oh, remember, we I'm have tired. a tired. I'm just wrapping up annual paperwork, and yeah. it's boring. <laughs> it's much more fun to and do tedious. than to than to report what you've done. It's much more fun to actually do it. But remember yes, tonight, 6 o'clock, we have another class for those who signed up for rain barrel and compost uh, class. So from 6 to 7.30ish, well, I will be working that time. Somebody does their compost part and then leaves, goes and eats supper or something while I stay in do the rain barrel portion and so and thank you very much for everybody for attending today and mm -hmm. for many of you tuning in every week it's really great we really enjoy answering all of your questions um we're going to try even harder to bring more interesting and engaging guests on here next year what the heck am I? You're my regular co-host. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. I will try to be more interesting and engaging for you. I'll try to, I'll check into if University of Florida has any kind of poo specialist that we could have on here since it always kind of circles back to that. I, bet you, I would like to see their title if they were. I would too. Yeah. Logical, you know, scientist or something. <laughs> so they can honestly say they studied a bunch of in college. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Wow. Look at that. It's exactly 11 a.m. So I guess it's about time to wrap it up here. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. 
And we will see you back here again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Up, up, up here. Nancy has an idea. Two pro. Two pro. So we will I'll find... look for two pro to come on next year. We will find a poo pro. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, everybody. You guys all have a uh, great week, and we'll see you here again next week. Bye-bye.